Let's get into it then. All right. Awesome sauce. I ask that the gods and goddesses of our respective paths bless this circle so that we may be free and protected within this space. And if you have this one word, pagan or paganism. For the pagan community. Exactly. Right. The, the big umbrella. And that was fucking fantastic. Was the the best the podcast year. ever. Hey! We're, we're three pagans. Exactly. We're three pagans. And a cat. And may the works this day be of the highest good for all present and those listening. So mote it be. The circle is cast. Hey folks, CJ Grimm here from Poking Dead Things. It's a hard job doing what we do, and it can get kind of gross. We know that you work hard too, so I'm here to tell you that at the end of a hard day, nothing beats a hot bath and a cold beer. So treat yourself right and head to Twisted Willow Soap Company and indulge in a bath bomb with your favorite six-pack. Remember, the only girly thing about a bath bomb are the sounds you're going to make in excitement. Twisted Willow Soap Company. Body. Mind. Soul. Each night when I go to sleep, I die. And the next morning when I wake up, I am reborn. Welcome to Death and Rebirth, the 96th episode of Three Pagans and a Cat. Our opening today is courtesy of 19th century politician and activist Mahatma Gandhi. Thanks to Velocity Rose for our intro music. You can find more of their work at VelocityRose.com. You may call me Ode. Mary Mead, my name is Quinn. I'm Ode's mother. And no we car are this without week. car this week. He has a migraine again. The poor man. Yes. He unfortunately is subject to those from time to time. And mm-hmm. this one, sometimes he can work through it. And this one... Sometimes he cannot. He cannot. It's this is just, one of the cannots. This is one of the cannots. So we are going to be here on our own. That's right. To start with, we have housekeeping. So Gwen, go through all the stuff that we do now. <laughs> <laughs> well, on Sundays from 2 p.m. Eastern to 4 p.m., Carr hosts a Zoom get-together, just a, a chat with anyone who wishes to participate. And then starting this Monday, I'm going to transfer from daily meditations to once a week. It will be Monday, 8 a.m. Eastern. That's pretty much it for housekeeping, I think. Yeah, not a whole lot that, that's not going, a whole on. going on. Michigan Everything's canceled. Is, I do want to take this time, though, to say to our listeners who are participating in the protest yes, marches. Yes, the Black Lives Matter protest. Exactly. Even though we cannot be with you in person, physically, physically we are with you in spirit. We are working on your behalf magically. Mm-hmm. We are erecting shields, you know, energetic shields for you. Yep. And we are, we're just with you. We wanted to, to make sure that we, that you know that we're thinking about you. A lot. A lot. Yep. So something one of my friends said to me that one of her friends has said to her is to remember that this is neither a sprint nor a marathon. It is a relay. That's right. This is a long-term fight. The fact that, that some strides have been made already is great, mm-hmm. but the there is so much more that work that needs to be done. Absolutely. Um, and people will get exhausted. People will start experiencing protest fatigue. People, especially who have chronic illnesses or who are at risk for COVID right now, will need to take breaks and there will need to be people to fill in for them when they need to step back. So mm-hmm. this is a long-term fight and not everyone has to be activated at once. It's great to see the groundswell of support right now. Absolutely. But remember that in two weeks, two months, Maybe even two years from now, we're going to need to still be fighting. That's right. And so we just 
do what we can as we can, taking over for people when they mm-hmm. need reinforcements. And remember that it, protest comes in many forms. Mm-hmm. It can be, it doesn't have to be in a march personally. Right. Whatever platform you can work through, go for it. Yep. We're still in the middle of a pandemic. Oh, yeah. That's still happening. So when you go out and do your protesting, which we do recommend that if you're able to, you go protest safely. Part of doing that safely is try to maintain social distancing. Absolutely, definitely wear a mask. Absolutely. And it's really hard to do that right now with the, especially the protests. But in your own daily life, like in Michigan, the the stay-at-home order is is lifting Mm -hmm. on Monday. So people are going to be going out more. And still maintain social distancing. Wear wear your mask. mask. Wash your hands. Yes. Continue to practice everything that we learned and put in place in the early months because if we don't, we're going to end up in another quarantine situation. Exactly, exactly. And we don't want to have to do that. So Would be suboptimal. Exactly. So we just wanted to put that reminder out there to take care of yourselves Mm -hmm. and to follow COVID-19 protocols. Yep. And I do want to say, because we have been dealing with over 100,000 deaths in the United States, thousands of deaths around the world. If this topic is uncomfortable for you right now, we certainly yeah, understand yeah. that. We just want, I just wanted to put that out there. Okay. All right. So now the housekeep- we're housekept. So this is sort of a two-parter, I guess, mm-hmm. or like, like two episodes in one because death and rebirth have some connections to each other, but they're not like one topic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there are so many different avenues to go down. Exactly. That we're not going to do justice to this topic in not one even. episode. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's just how it's going to be. And we're not even fully represented because Carr isn't here yeah. to represent what he knows from like the Celtic side of mm-hmm. things and so the druid, the druid perspective. So one of the things that really struck me while I was doing this research was that in the West, at least, mm-hmm. especially in the United States, probably also in the UK, parts of Europe, we don't really have like a, a death embracing culture. <laughs> no, no, we really don't. And I, I don't think we have for a long time. I think they're used to Back in the day, hundreds of years ago, there might have been more of a routine or a ritual that people, like, you know, people laid out, they took care of their own, they washed the body, they laid them out. And Um, and you still see that in some religious communities, like the Jewish protocols for death involve washing the body and sitting Shiva and... Mm -hmm. There are some Muslim practices for death and even Catholics with last rites. And I think what they used to do, I think, is even transferred into what we have now with funeral homes and mm-hmm. viewing. Yes. Well, and I think a lot of, I mean, to jump ahead a little bit, I think yeah. a lot of death culture in the West has been commodified. Mm-hmm. And it's being sold now. Yeah. yeah. As a convenience. That's true. And I think... That may be why we've lost some of that sense of there's there's a loss of connection to to life and death is to that stage to that, stage. To that transitional point yeah. yeah exactly and it makes me wonder if that because it seems like people don't one people don't like to talk about death right they're afraid it of makes it. people uncomfortable makes people uncomfortable but also I think they're because of the system that we have and have had in place for. A long time now. For a bit now, yeah. For a very long time now. With a, a professional funeral director mm-hmm. and, and the viewings at the mortuary instead of at the home like it used to be, that kind of thing. There's a, a distance that is placed. Yeah, it's not part of your life. It's exactly, exactly. And there's also seems to be kind of a rush. You get it done yeah. and then you're done. You, you, grieve, you, you have, like, by the funeral, 
like you have like a week you have, yeah, you have big, and then you're supposed to be basically done. Yeah, exactly. And and I feel like that does a disservice to people of any and all faith systems who don't have a particular ritual or a particular way of viewing death. Some of that, I think, at least in the United States, is because families often don't live together. Mm -hmm. So, like, when your dad died, you were far away. So you couldn't, like, you you couldn't even attend the funeral. That is very true. That's true. And I was working a job that was temporary. And so I really... So, like, between the distance between Mm -hmm. the two states you lived in, the financial circumstances of our family, Mm -hmm. and the the capitalist necessity of your job, right? Right. right. You there was just no feasible way for you to attend his funeral, so you had to do all of your grieving long distance. I did. But it also because of that, at least for me in the situation, I was able to find a way to honor my father by creating this little mini shrine. And I believe we've talked about it before. Yeah. It, but that did a lot to heal me. Mm-hmm. I mean, my father and I did not have a great relationship right. anyway. And so you ended up creating essentially like a like a, a memorial. I did, and that was a grief ritual for you. It was. It was a grief ritual that allowed me to grieve the father that I didn't have, the father that I had gotten to know mm-hmm. shortly before his death, and the father that I had lost. Yeah. You know. Did you miss not being able to go to the funeral? Like, was there was? Did you feel like you were missing something? By not being able to, yes, because to I, be part of that, to see the body, to to interact with his death in that way. Well, I don't know. That my my understanding is my dad didn't want like a viewing and all that right. kind of stuff, so he was cremated, right? And then his ashes were thrown into the to the ocean. But you had no interaction with the physical reality of his death. Was no. that like was like was that hard? Yeah, it feels to me like it would just seem like like if someone I knew on the internet just never spoke to me again. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't. I wouldn't know if that person was dead or had just like moved on. Yeah, yeah. No, it was it was difficult that I didn't. It at least get to go and be part of spreading his ashes, mm-hmm. have that additional goodbye mm-hmm. from his physical remains. Right. But yet I was able to find a way to satisfy that need on my own, even at a distance. Right. And I feel like that is something as pagans, mm-hmm. as, as a witch, as people who, you know, we are more connected to the earth and to the sense of spirit. Or we're more, we try to be more aware of that. Uh, yes, exactly. We, we try to be more aware of the supernatural, spiritual world, however you want to phrase it. I feel like, I almost feel like we have an opportunity to, to grow here. Cause, you know, I'm, I'm an eclectic, solitary witch. I don't really right. have a specific tradition. I'm sure that, like, various traditions within, say, Wicca or various forms of witchcraft traditions, they have their own personal death rituals that they observe, but it doesn't seem like there's a lot. You don't hear a lot about them. They may be something that they're keeping private. Maybe. And especially in terms of, like, funeral practices Mm -hmm. in paganism, I don't hear a lot. I hear more about, like, post-death rituals, you know, like incorporating someone into the shrine, Mm -hmm. you know, inviting them in as an ancestor, that kind of thing. Right. But I don't hear much about how pagans approach the actual, like, process, the physical process of Mm -hmm. the death and of dealing with the dead person. Well, part of it may be, one, we live in the, you know, this Western society society that has a specific way of dealing with death. But we also have family members who Who are going to intervene. Who are going to intervene. 
Although if you put down something in your will. Right. So why everyone should have a living will. <laughs> right. So I was looking into like how we got to this point where death is very capitalist, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. uh, for how it's very, like there are all these legal rules about it mm-hmm. and how we got to this, this point where like people mostly die in a hospital mm-hmm. and they go from there to a funeral home mm-hmm. and they go from there to the ground or whatever. Right. right. And it looks like it actually started like as far back as the plague. Probably. Yeah. Because there were so many deaths and we've seen shades of this very recently mm. with coronavirus in like New York. Right. Where there were so many bodies. And so little infrastructure for handling right. them safely right. that people were not able to, re- like, their family couldn't be with, with them when they died. Mm-hmm. They couldn't receive last rites or other religious practices couldn't be performed for, for funeral purposes. Right. They couldn't be buried promptly. Right. And, and the, in the case of the plague, especially, they often had to be buried in mass graves right. because there just wasn't space for them in individual plots and there weren't mm-hmm. enough people digging graves. And so that, like, the extremity of death at that time and the intensity of it and the logistical problems of dealing with that much death moved it away a little bit from being something that families dealt with mm-hmm. and made it something that, like, essentially governments had to deal with. Right. Because the alternative was plague corpses everywhere. everywhere. And so that's just not really changed, mm-hmm. except uh, depending on the culture. Because in India, in the various religions of India, they have their own specific right, rituals yeah. there are, for there dealing are, with death and funerals. Right, but right now and, I'm talking specifically about like how we got here in true. Western society. And how we got here in Western society starts with the plague. That's true. Because before that, it still very much was mm-hmm. individual families dealing with the corpse and whatever right. their religious system and it, dictated. And it seems to me like people of different religious faiths had to learn how to work around that yes. government takeover, that capitalist takeover. Yeah. Like, you know, of, of how we handle funeral rights. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that was the beginning of it, right? Mm-hmm. But then there was like a, there was a weird shift in ye Victorian times. Mm-hmm. So the Victorians, is where all the weirdest shit in our society starts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> On the one hand, it was almost popular to to consider death, to think mm-hmm. strongly about your death and to plan for your death. And right. there were traditions of people, of women, sewing their own funeral shrouds mm-hmm. and including them, like, with their wedding dress as part of their dowry. Like, it was very much part of people's consciousness. Right. But that also meant that it got to be, like, formalized grieving. Mm-hmm. And it was expected to be a very prolonged process, right? Like, there were multiple stages of grieving, and mm-hmm. you would go through them at set intervals, and there were, like, different rules for people who were grieving and different expectations for them, and no one expected them to be able to engage with normal society while they were in mourning. But at the same time, I think that that sort of socially structured grieving mm-hmm. is how we got to this point with our really weird truncated grieving. Mm-hmm. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, where they people are only given a very short period uh-huh. of time to get all, you know, that they don't have to go to, to war. To get all the affairs in order. Get all the affairs then... in order. That's true. And that really doesn't give people, and it's no wonder people get stuck in the grief mm-hmm. process. Because it is a process, and they're not allowed to do, to even begin with that. What if the greatest tabletop hero you ever play turns out to be yourself? In Vector, Attack of the Metapirates, move beyond imagination as Captain Vector and his Metapirates do battle from game world to world, following players from setting to setting in an attempt to enter the real world. Will you help Captain Vector in his Pinocchio-like quest to enter the real world, or stop him from becoming a living nightmare? Only you can decide. Vector, Attack of the Metapirates, can be purchased on Drive Through RPG on a pay-what-you-want basis. Mackenzie says, I think people are afraid of death because of the uncertainty of what happens to us when we die. And that comes into what, you know, about beliefs, death beliefs of various cultures and well, peoples, and, and what do you believe happens to you when you die? Yeah, and I think there's two layers of that, right? Like, there's mm-hmm. the spiritual layer of what happens to, like, the person when mm-hmm. they die, mm-hmm. and there's the physical layer of what happens to the corpse. Well, it's interesting, because as I was doing my own research into this, mm-hmm. I was reading, I, I'd have to paraphrase her, because I, I didn't write it down, but Starhawk, who wrote a book, uh, I believe it's called The Pagan Book of Living and Dying, mm-hmm. and in that book, she talks about the fact that if people became more comfortable with the understanding uh with that that we are returning back to the earth and that for that kind of cycle of birth life death rebirth as part of the earth mm-hmm. like as our body becomes part of the earth once more she her perspective was that that might make the process a little less frightening Maybe. For some, if, at least for some I mean, Yeah, I mean, that's something that's going to be a your mileage may vary thing. That's true. But it also, it does come down to, I think ultimately people worry about what's going to happen to their essence. Do they, do they continue on? Do they stop? Do they, you know, go to a form of heaven? You know, that's, that's what Christians have been, you know, talking about for right, thousands of years yes. now in the afterlife. But, um, like for instance, most of the major Hindu religions, and now a lot of Western uh, people believe in reincarnation, that mm-hmm. whole cycle of birth, life, death, rebirth into another form. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, you know, especially in the Western culture, we tend to believe we go from one human to another human. <laughs> right. Um, Although Cars mentioned before, uh, the Celtic belief was that uh, humans were reincarnated as natural things. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of ties into the, what I was just saying about Starhawk, that, you know, we we return to the earth, and so maybe your spirit retur- becomes part of the earth as well. Maybe. I could be reading into more yeah, than that. Yeah, probably are a little. But I think, I think what you're talking about with the, I mean, the physical reality of death is like a cycle of, the circle of life thing. And Melkor says, please know I'm exhausted. I want to be a fat house cat next time. <laughs> right? If anybody has a good life, it's a house cat. <laughs> I do wonder if part of of Western society's disconnection from the physical realities of death mm-hmm. has something to do with the Christian belief in mm-hmm. a like immortal, untouchable afterlife. Well, and there's also this, this... So, like, you don't need the body anymore, right. right? Like, you've outgrown it. And there's this concept that Christ overcomes death. Like, right. death is an enemy right. that needs to be overcome. Yes, that's the vibe. Yeah. yeah I forgot and, about that. Yeah, the, the death of the body is... is That's an enemy. That's... And, right, which... 
You know what that explains about a lot of, about a lot of like like the asceticism and stuff of Christianity too, mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. rejection of bodily pleasures and things. If your mm-hmm. body is an enemy that you have to defeat so that you can live forever, mm-hmm. that's well, interesting. This, this concept of sin and you know all of that, but I think there's other cultures that also have this idea of take the Gnostics. I think theirs is a the body is more of a nuisance. Than, yeah, but I and, think the Gnostics are still Christians, aren't they? Um, they're a form of Christianity. Yeah. Yes. But you also see that with, and again, you're right, it is with Christians. Christians who do that. The flagellation. The flagellation, the, the, the punishment of the body, of yeah. the flesh. Yeah. To atone for the sins. You see that, you may see that in some other religions so like as well, kind of. Yeah. It's a, it's a detachment from the body. Yes. Yeah, so that they can achieve a spiritual enlightenment. Right. So this, this mortal stuff, this body that we inhabit, it, lacks whatever people seem to, you know, moral substance. Yeah, exactly. And so there's a, a disconnect, I think. And so there's a lack of care. Rabbit points out, I think it's just mortality has gone down, especially infant mortality. So people don't experience death as much. That's, That's another component point. of it. Yeah. As medicine has advanced, like I, my two grandfathers have died. That's it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Both relatively recently, both when I was an adult. Yes, right? Yes. Like within, it used to be that a lot of people would lose it, lose their grandparents as children or as I teenagers. Did. Yeah. Yeah. I had my grandparents until I was in my mid to late twenties. But you didn't necessarily have relationships with your grandfathers. No. But, but they like, were still physically present in the yeah, world. Yeah. Like they existed and I knew about them and I could contact them if I wanted to. And right. like, and I, like I wasn't, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't expect to be upset about the, the death of the one of my paternal grandfather and I wasn't, but I like. I thought I would be more upset about your father's death than I was, mm-hmm. and I just really wasn't. And I'm not sure if that's because we didn't have a very close relationship, or if that's because I didn't see his body, or if that's think, because like just you really I haven't dealt with much death. <laughs> you really haven't. You nor nor your your brother have had to deal with death. We ha- you haven't had to go to a yeah. funeral as children. Yeah. No, I've never. I don't think I've ever actually attended a funeral. Yeah, yeah. Whereas when I was a child, my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, mm-hmm. passed away when I was seven. So I, I saw the body mm-hmm. and I experienced that funeral and the graveside that process. Process. A friend of mine passed away when I was in sixth grade. Mm-hmm. So I went through that process again. Throughout my life, I have experienced this loss of a human being that that physical form of this mm-hmm. human being. And gone through that process of experience of, of reckoning with your own mortality. Of reckoning with your own mortality. And I, I I do think sometimes I think part of the problem is people shield their children. Like if there is right. a death in the family They um, don't find out about it or, or they don't get, they're not allowed to go to the funeral mm-hmm. or things like that. And I, I really because we are talking about death beliefs and death mm-hmm. rituals, I think taking a child to a funeral mm-hmm. is a a very valuable part of life. I think there's a good handled, way to, yeah, I think there's a good way be, and a bad way. <laughs> it has to be handled with sensitivity yeah. and care. Yeah. But I don't think, I don't think it's necessarily healthy to just shield them from it completely. Yeah. No, I agree. I think there are certainly bad ways to do that where you're going to just traumatize your child, mm-hmm. but there has to, it's like sex education, right? Like you right. have to teach your children that these topics exist. They're not going to become magically ready to deal with them mm-hmm. when they reach adulthood if you don't prepare them for it as children, mm-hmm. you know? 
So, yeah, like, I think people need to have, well, and like, like for me, there weren't any funerals for me to go to. So, right, right. but they, you need to have frank conversations with your children about exactly. that. Right. And again, it comes down to these, these rituals and rites, regardless of what your belief system is. I think those are important. It is important to be able to let go of that, that physical body so that you can accept that they are somewhere, perhaps, you know, even Maybe. if you don't that's, know. I mean, that may, well, or unless you're an or, atheist. Or unless you're atheist, and it's fine. <laughs> it's just meat and it's done. Yeah. <laughs> but well, you still it go might not through be grief. fine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you still yeah. go through a grief process. You've lost this individual. Sometimes, though, it's not, like, there are, so there's, um in Madagascar, there's a, a death ritual called Fama Dahana. Mm-hmm. where the person dies, mm-hmm. they're wrapped in linen, they're buried the traditional way. And then every couple of years, mm-hmm. the whole family, the whole community gets together. Mm-hmm. They disinter the person who died, so they dig them back up, mm-hmm. take them out of the grave, mm-hmm. rewrap them in new linens, and then they all dance. It's called the dancing of the bones or the turning of the bones. Interesting. And they dance... They do like a big communal dance holding the rewrapped corpse above mm-hmm. their heads. Mm-hmm. They dance all the way around the grave and then they put them back in the grave. And they do this over and over again mm-hmm. for years until nothing remains mm-hmm. because their belief system is that the spirit doesn't completely leave the body at the moment of death. Mm-hmm. They don't join the ancestors. They don't completely finish the dying process until the whole body is decomposed. Mm, mm -hmm. So turning the bones and dancing with the bones is supposed to, A, it's supposed to, they believe it, it helps the decomposition process, but Mm -hmm. also it brings the whole family back together to remember this person and to try to help them move on to the afterlife. Right, right. So, like, it's not even always about letting go of the body. Mm Mm-hmm. Sometimes, like, the body is part of that death process. Right, right. Now, Rashala says, I think whether or not to include kids in the public process depends on the kid, the family, and the nature of the rights. Yes, absolutely. You, as the adult parent, should have a pretty good idea of what you're walking into and can make the judgment call whether it's a healthy space for your kids. Yeah, there shouldn't, I mean, there, you always have to adjust. Oh, sure. Absolutely. For your individual kid. Yeah, absolutely. Because, like, cause like, my brother oh, would as not a child? have been okay at a funeral. No, at, at, as a child, he would have been very uncomfortable. We did... I couldn't finish watching Titanic. I know. Because my brother had, like, a panic attack when the boat started sinking. Yeah, he, he was very uncomfortable with death. But I feel like some of that, though, it, I lay that at my own feet because that I didn't talk to him about death in a way that helped him learn and understand. And I think it was over time, because he became an anthropologist as an adult, and one of his classes was about death rituals. rituals, And it was through funerary practices. And through that, he was able to come to grips with this uh, childhood fear, if you will. Yeah, it really was a fear. It was a childhood fear of death. Mm -hmm. Again, I I feel like I did not, because we had no deaths in the family at the time. Closest thing was when my cat died. I didn't have occasion to talk to my son about death. Mm -hmm. And so what he got was what was from television or from talking to friends Mm -hmm. or, or things like that. And so I feel like I could have handled that situation with him better. And I think I'm, I, I remember taking you both to an Egyptian 
And I think it was the kid. Was it the King Tut display? No, it wasn't the, the King du- Tut because they display. had that at one point. They did, but this was not. This was the funerary okay. practices of the Egyptians okay. from a certain time period, and they had set up an actual what a what a um, yeah tomb that, would look like. One, well, I think they had a demonstration, uh, or not a demonstration, you know, but like a little. They talked about the process about the, of the, mummification, yeah, the mummification process, and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And yeah, I think was, they had a mummy. They did. Yeah. It was fascinating. I know he was incredibly uncomfortable, but he, he was, walked yeah. through it. But he was very brave. <laughs> he was very brave. But I also feel like I wish I had sat down with him and talked to him more about it mm-hmm. to help him through that process. And that is what I'm saying. It's a, obviously everybody has to do what's right for their own kid and right for this, especially if you're going to a funeral of a family member. Yeah. Things like that. But I do think the process of grief, uh, explaining what the ritual or right is. Mm-hmm. And why it's done. Yeah. It's an important step, I feel like. And I feel like I missed that opportunity with both you and your brother to help you through that and to understand it a little bit better. Right. I was never, I never had that, like, fear or anxiety about death that my brother did. Mm -hmm. I don't think I was always, like, completely sanguine about it, but... Mm-hmm. Like, I got to a point of just being like, Entropy, what can you do? Pretty quickly? Yeah. Uh, Boreas has shared, We do not fear death, but the thought of death from Seneca. That's a quote yeah. from Seneca. And that's that's true. And I, I really do think it's just the this thought of the unknown. Even, I think even people who have a very firm, like Christians or Muslims mm-hmm. or whatever, have a very firm a system that they believe in of what the afterlife is for mm-hmm. them. What it'll look like. What it'll look like. I think that even these people have mo- must have moments of, of, I don't know, necessarily fear, but anxiety, questions. Well, you talked, I mean, we talked several months ago about mm-hmm. your mom. Yes. Who was having... She was having um, a lot of anxiety about, uh, and she was in a de- uh, depression because yeah. a lot of her friends have been dying because she's at that age. She's 87. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and she was concerned that she would be rejected by her God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, Mom, that's... For nothing. For, yeah, it was for nothing. It was for bad feelings. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You you know, your God is not going to reject you for, for feeling mm-hmm. angry at someone or questioning something or, or whatever. You know, I had to really reassure her. So, yeah, I think people people of all stripes, mm-hmm. all faiths, they're, we, we're human beings. We go through these times of stress, stress but also just question. You know, the big question, because ultimately Seneca's right. We don't know. And we it's that thought that, that brings on the fear. That anxiety. That anxiety. Yeah, exactly. And it's so difficult to do something productive about that. It is. It is. Which I think I've, I forget if it was, I think it was two years ago, I went to a class on death for pagans. Right. right. And um, they talked about death doulas. Mm-hmm. And we live in a society now where you need someone to walk you through the process of death. Yeah, because we don't know what it looks like. Exactly. And, and the legal stuff that exactly. you have to There's do. Exactly. There's so much legal stuff to, to A, it, to get your own mm-hmm. shit in order. Mm-hmm. And then your surviving family members, there's so much legal stuff they have to do mm-hmm. that no one prepares you for. Exactly. Especially for some... Like, I had cancer a few years mm-hmm. ago. I really had to confront the... Notion. I the thankfully of the specter of mortality before I knew what my ultimate diagnosis was. But you know, there's that specter of oh, there may be an actual time stamp. Right. There might be, there might be like a deadline. <laughs> there might be a deadline on my life that I was unaware like of, a, and, like a specific one instead of just an abstract sometime in the future. Exactly. One. 
But, and I think that's what, um, if I understood correctly, you know, death doulas help you, especially if you are in, in a situation where you might need to go into a treatment because mm-hmm. you have been, have a diagnosis. You might need to, they help you sort out all that information. They help you sort out information for hospice mm-hmm. and what to do after and how to help your family. What your end of life care looks like. What your end of life care looks like. And even when I, when I was in, uh, getting prepared for surgery, I w- we had counselors mm-hmm. to walk us through that process of if something happens. If something happens, what would you like to have happen? And they had me. F- I had to fill out this huge form mm-hmm. about circumstances if I and would require right, exactly certain kinds of medical intervention. Exactly. And Car and I, I think had to sign paperwork to be to be able to make medical decisions on exactly, your behalf. Exactly. Exactly. And those are all and. And, but I learned at this class that even these, uh, like, you know, do not resuscitate orders mm-hmm. and stuff, they can vary from hospital yeah, to exactly. hospital, state to state. Application varies. Appli- yeah, exactly. And so that's what a death doula helps people with, especially if they are in an end of life situation. Mm-hmm. So that's something that I think is important for people to remember, especially pagan people, because this is someone who can actually help you navigate how do you prepare a funeral when you have a bunch of Christian relatives. Well, and even, like, for take all the religion out of yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Just how do you prepare a funeral legally? Yeah. Because there are a bunch of legal requirements. There are. There are. It's And uh, it will cost a lot of money. Yeah, that's the other thing is that it's there. It's, as you were saying earlier, death has become a big industry. Yeah, it's commodified. It's commodified. Um, and it makes it, it puts a lot of stress on. Financial stress. Financial stress. On, on top those, of grief, you know. Yeah, on top of grief. <laughs> those people who are left behind, which I think a lot of people are dealing with, especially now since COVID. Yeah. Because, because A, they've got medical debt. Exactly. And also death debt, essentially. Exactly. And it's just, you know, from what I was reading it, you know, it struck people really quickly. Mm-hmm. And those who died, they didn't linger. It was like a yeah. really fast process for not many all, of them. Not all the time. There's a huge range, but we is won't there? get into that. Okay, we won't get into that. The point is, and, they, and these people haven't had the opportunity, as you were saying before, to go through their rights, to go through their process. Uh, Chris says, the YouTuber Ask a Mortician is fantastic and talks about the funeral industry and all sorts of things around that, including how to write a will. Oh, that's great. Thank so that's you, That's a resource Chris. for you. That is a great resource. Because, yeah, even just dealing with, like, not not even just dealing with, like, the physical reality of the fact that human beings are made out of meat mm-hmm. and you have to do something with it when the person's gone. Right. There's, like, the financial and legal realities of the situation. And and there are things, like, you know, what does your... What and does how your, those things interact with your cultural and religious obligations. That's what I was just yeah. going to say. How does that interact with... With you, with whatever you believe as a, as a spiritual person, mm-hmm. as a religious person. I know that for pagans, probably, the idea of, um, green burial is becoming that's more fair. popular. That's becoming common, yeah. Yep, it's becoming more popular in this idea that you are, and it's not available in all states, which nope. is another reason why. Legalities. <laughs> yeah, why you need to go through someone who can help walk you through all the mm-hmm. things that are. Legal where you are. What's legal where you are. But a green burial, is where a person is not embalmed. Mm-hmm. They're wrapped either in linen or in a... Something biodegradable. Biodegradable casket, and they're placed in the earth. They're not put in like a cement chamber in the ground, you know, right. that kind of thing. However, they do burials. In it varies. Yeah. yeah, it varies. <laughs> but it is considered a more natural kind of burial for people. Right. 
you know, that's people now consider it a more natural kind of yes. And I know that there's other, there are actual cemeteries in various states that are very low impact sites where, you know, you can, you can be buried and it's very low impact as far as the Mm -hmm. carbon footprint. There's also stuff like you can have your ashes pressed and turned into gemstones. You can all the, or although if you want to talk about expense, woof. Although I did also, yes, and if you don't want to go that route, because it is expensive, <laughs> you, I guess it's becoming more popular what the Victorians used to do is they would put ashes from person in a locket or, or, or a locket hair, hair or something like that. In, yeah. some, in some cases, they actually wove a bracelet yes, out of the, out of the hair into, into a bracelet. There's that option. Um, I also read that apparently there are some who every year they will do a memorial service commemorating that person. They'll light a candle or they'll perform a work of, of charity that, mm-hmm. that, that, that that person, person would have approved of, would have approved of or things like that. Those are, are part of the rituals yeah. that some people and do. It's worth bearing in mind that like not all Death rituals are going to be like these big elaborate spiritual experiences. No, Sometimes they are super simple, like you know, donating fifty bucks to your to a dead friend's mm-hmm. favorite charity. Exactly. Like, That's what my father wanted. My yeah. father wanted his ashes sprinkled in the ocean mm-hmm. because he loved the, the ocean and the beach, and he wanted people to donate to the cancer fund because he died of cancer. Yep. And that that those were his wishes. He didn't want a big funeral. He didn't want flowers. He didn't want the pomp and circumstance. The hoopla. The hoopla. <laughs> he just wanted that as as his remembrance. Right. Meet a new friend at the Artful Egg. Our tiger Michelle invites you to her shop where she showcases her painted and carved sugar skull eggshells for the world to enjoy. Each piece is handcrafted and unique with a name, a style all its own, and a desire to find a happy home with you. Every egg comes in a special box adorned with a note about the creation. Michelle has been sculpting her design since 2015 and knows that you and your family and friends will love it. She also makes natural eggs, beautifully painted rockery, and jewelry to share. As well as the sugar skulls, Michelle has designed an acorn egg, which just happens to be the most popular egg she makes, adorned with lentils and wood beads and hemp or leather hangings. Visit The Artful Egg at theartfulegg.net. I think the idea of rebirth goes back to this idea of the cycle of life within, you know, pagan thought. Um, I know within Wiccan tradition, I don't know about Celtic or heathen, but there is this. There's a concept of, so we talked about reincarnation as, uh, as dad knows it. Yes. Through the Celts. But there is a concept of like familial reincarnation sort of in heathenry. Mm-hmm. Um, not everyone subscribes to that. Some people believe a family member who dies might be reincarnated into that same family line. Mm-hmm. And either way, your luck is like ancestral and passed down. So mm-hmm. like it's a piece of all your ancestors that's also a piece of you sort mm-hmm. of simultaneously. Not like traditional reincarnation necessarily, except yeah. in like rare circumstances. And that's always within like, like it'll be like your great grand niece or whatever will be right. re- you reincarnated. Like so. Sort of, sort, sort of, of reincarnation. Sort of reincarnation. <laughs> and I think it depends on the, the witch or the Wiccan or the pagan, you know, who are not connected to a particular mm-hmm, tradition. If they're solitary, such as I am, you know, of what they believe. I personally believe in the Summerland that... Which we talked about was a, a spiritualist. That's concept. right. <laughs> I, I believe in the Summerland. That's also something that Scott Cunningham taught. Now, depending on who you are and mm-hmm. what you've been taught, some people just believe it is where your spirit goes to just 
mingle with the universal spirit or energy, whatever. I believe it is a place that the spirit goes to rest to prepare for reincarnation, coming back into the world in a, as a as a new person. And I think it just or or to be elevated to you know a spirit guide or or whatever. Oh, whatever. I, I think it just it depends on the person and what if they're in a tradition or if they're eclectic, how they view death and what happens after. I being a medium, I do believe that something that we go on somehow. Right. <laughs> that some parts or parts mm-hmm. of the person persist. Exactly. There's reincarnation, obviously, as a form of rebirth. Right. But there are other kinds of rebirth, too. Yes, there are other kinds of rebirth. And there's this the concept of Ostara, the celebration of the spring equinox after, after winter, after th- everything has been dormant. and Right. I think that's an interesting distinction, because spring isn't the recovery, it isn't new life out of death. Mm-mm. Those things are still alive. Of course they are. <laughs> but they're, and they're dormant. So I think it's this... It's like a sleep. It's like, well, there is a, there are those who believe that... Death, you know, even though the body ceases and the and the elements of your body mm-hmm. disintegrate back into the earth, there are people though who believe that there is a continuation regardless of what happens to the body. So the spirit is dormant, if you will, hmm. <laughs> and then moves on to to be reborn. Interesting. And so that's how the the spring well rebirth and, thing. Well, well, and comes well, about. I think just I think I I do not know for sure. Okay, uh, I mean, honest. yeah, fair. The site, it is part of the cycle of life where it appears that, that things have died. Sort of. Sort of. Things have gone dormant. It appears that things have died, but they come back to life in, in the, the spring. In the spring. And so there is, I think people just connected this idea of death. At least in parts of the world where there, where that is a, where, cycle. where that is, that is not the case everywhere. No, though. that's not the case everywhere. But I think in those European countries where there's this cycle of, Birth, death, rebirth. Um, I think that is how it got connected to to spring. Now I don't know for sure. I'm not sure that's something anyone could. No, that's just that's just my causal link. Right, right. So some, so there are two. Well, there's one like established ritual, and one like sort of new, still being experimented with ritual that that I think we don't always think of as rebirths, but Mm -hmm. I think functionally are rebirths. Mm -hmm. So the first one is weddings. Mm Hmm. Yep. Because the concept of a wedding is that, like, you're setting aside... So, like, and maybe this is where we need to, like, talk about... I can't believe, Like, I guess we need to talk about the death tarot card briefly. Because, like, it doesn't... Like, it means the end of something, right? Mm-hmm. It's the definitive closing of a, of a door. Right. But it's also an opportunity to do something new. Mm-hmm. So, like, you could have the death card in a certain kind of reading to symbolize a marriage. Mm-hmm. And it would, like, people who were getting married. Right. The death of childhood. And into, into adulthood. Into right? adulthood, like, yeah. So a marriage is a kind of rebirth. A wedding is a kind of rebirth mm-hmm, ritual. Mm-hmm. Because the two participants are setting aside the lives they had before to start new lives as a married couple. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The other one that I thought about is sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes trans people, mm-hmm. when they choose new names mm-hmm. and they're ready to, like, come out to the community as the gender that they are, right. will hold, like, 
a second birthday party? Yeah, yeah. And that's a rebirth ritual. Exactly, absolutely. So perhaps instead of trying to connect it to what's going on in the physical world, Mm -hmm. it is more what's going on in the supernatural or spiritual world. In the self. In the self. Someone, Melkor, mentioned that it could be that in winters in European countries are or were harsh so harsh that the winter is tied with death because it made food scarce. Also possible. There's very much that possibility. I think there's there's a connection there with this concept of spiritual scarcity and rebirth into because Christians, hello, Jesus went into the, you know into the grave. Into the grave. Three days. Three days and then was resurrected. Magically transported. Exactly. Because a lot of times people do equate rebirth with a kind of resurrection. Right. You know, so like... But I think that's narrow. Like I said, like, I think mm-hmm. weddings are rebirths. Right. I think, you know, like a second birthday party that a trans person has is a rebirth. I love that concept, by the way. I, yeah, I, really I like do. It. I love that concept <laughs> of having a brand new birthday, a brand new, a party to yeah, celebrate your new like, birth. This is the person I am. This is who I am, the um, new name, the whole bit. I love that. Yeah, I think it's neat. It's not because those people were in a place of spiritual scarcity mm-hmm. before they got married or... or right. Well, or, t- like... It could be like a cauldron ritual, a spiritual cauldron ritual where you let go of the old mm-hmm. to be born as something new. Let, you know, let the old... Is that a Hakati thing? Yeah. Okay. Let, let, uh, and there's probably other people who do that as well. I would assume but, a third one based on the cauldron. <laughs> yeah. But you, you know, you go through shadow work and you work through those things that no longer serve you and you release that old part of yourself so that a new you can come forth out of the cauldron, sparkling new, energetically new so that you can move forward. You see? Yeah. So there's a sense of rebirth in the cauldron. You go into the cauldron to let die. Right. What, what no longer serves you. Right. And rise out cleansed and new and ready to move forward. I think what's tripping me up is that I'm thinking of the death as a negative thing, and it's not in this case. Like, when there's a rebirth, when you're doing a rebirth mm-hmm. ritual of any mm-hmm. kind, the death of the old thing is good and positive yeah. and the objective. Mm-hmm. It's a necessary step to the rebirth. To part. the rebirth, yeah. Chris says, I feel like just religious conversion could be a type of rebirth too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, like especially that. if you have to break oaths to old deities mm-hmm. and things like that, if you have to break ties with them. No, um, like, absolutely. Like leaving a, a religion that you grew up with, like Christianity exactly. or Islam or Judaism. And you're or often, you're off, or, uh, pagan. Yeah, and, too, or pagan this religions. happens with yeah. pagan religions too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Any religion. I just feel like we tend to be like, if you leave Christianity, Judaism, or, or Islam. That's true. Um, but no, you can leave any religion, and that's still a conversion to a fair, different one. Fair point. <laughs> um, but yeah. I can see. But, because you're often also leaving that community. Yes, yes. And if that can feel like a death, mm-hmm. because you are losing connection potentially, depending on how hardcore the people are in yeah, that. You could be shunned. You could be shunned. You could or be it may losing, just be. Losing friendships. Exactly. Losing connections. Uh, Sometimes family. Sometimes family. Um, or it may just be that you don't have things in common with them anymore. Exactly. And that does happen when you let something die, mm-hmm. an old religion, you, an you, old belief system. You become someone new. You, you lose have, things in that process. You lose things in that process. You lose old programming or old beliefs or whatever you want to call it to adopt new ideas and new ways of thinking and new ways of living and there's a se- there's a definite separation between who you were yeah and who you are now so there's definitely a sense of death and rebirth in that it's transition it's transition 
which makes it double appropriate for the trans second birthday. That's right. Um, That's right. But now I'm starting to be like, maybe we should rename the death card to rebirth. <laughs> Why not? You know? um, because that's usually what it actually, like, yes, it represents mm-hmm. the end of something. I think but, too often, I think some, I saw someone's comment in here saying that every time, yep, Mackenzie said, every time I get that card, I freak out uh-huh. until I realize, oh, because wait, it doesn't mean imminent death all the time. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily have to mean physical death mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, it depends on the, on the on situation the, on and the reader and the circumstances, yeah. blah, blah. But, um, it, it can be a spiritual or emotional or, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't have to be a physical death yeah. for a rebirth to occur. Yeah. But because I think we are so uncomfortable, there's just that kind of lingering that tension. tension. Yeah. That's a good word. Tension around the concept of death, talking about death. I mean, there's some people who won't even say the word. It's like sex. They'll yes. have to practice so many, saying sex. And there's so many like, like euphemisms. There's so you, many euphemisms. Someone hasn't died, they've passed away. Yeah. I catch myself doing that all the time. Yeah. And sometimes that's because of like religious tradition. Like the 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 Lakota people say that people haven't died, they've walked on. And sometimes And that has a religious meaning. And it's also sometimes out of sensitivity right. for the person that you are talking to because they are in the grief process. Right. And everybody grieves differently. Like that's right. so so but like I feel weird talking about my grandfathers who are dead mm-hmm. and being like, they've passed on, they've moved on. Mm-hmm. They've, they're, they've, 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 Oh God, what's the thing pagans always say to each other about death? Uh, they've crossed the veil. Yes. They've crossed the veil. I'm like, I, say that I don't think so. That doesn't <laughs> feel right. No, what happened was the bodies stopped working mm-hmm. and whatever made them people, did something and isn't there anymore uh-huh. and now there's some meat we have to deal with like i just feel weird about the euphemism you you have that you have that very logical yeah i've got like like i have a very literal relationship to the idea of death and entropy and the fact that everyone's right. going to die whereas i have much more of that spiritual they cross like for me for my father he mm-hmm. crossed the veil yeah and he and it, it really was my my stepfather related the experience to me because you know my my dad had prostate cancer that then went into bone cancer and he was he was in a lot of pain Mm -hmm. um, especially the last few months of his life yeah and legalized marijuana by the way oh my god yes they did not have legalized marijuana at the time where he was living and i think it could have done so much for him if it had been but he'd had a good christmas Mm -hmm. he they'd gone with a friend to do something and he'd uh, he'd been in his wheelchair and, but he'd been able to get up using his cane and he was, he had a good time, mm-hmm. right? And then they got back and, and I think they celebrated New Year's mm-hmm. and then they got back home and he died January 3rd. Yeah. He was, he went to lay down. Yeah, it was, he my was, understanding is it was, it was, it was pretty very good. peaceful. Like it was, yeah. He went to lay down. My stepfather it was a good went, death as yes, they it go. was. My stepfather went to check on him and he held my dad's hand. He realized that he was, that he was slipping away, slipping away. And he held my dad's hand and they told each other that they loved each other. And my dad just slipped his spirit crossed the veil. And I think that is how it can be for people. Mm -hmm. And that I think is why it is important that we have people like death doulas and that we have people, uh, hospice workers Mm -hmm. and people who deal with helping others deal with death. Yeah. Because, and sometimes, I mean, also, because it's not always that peaceful. Yeah. One, another important note, 
who help the people who are dying deal with death. Yes. Yes, because because we often focus on like the survivors of the people who die. Yeah. But the person who's dying is the one actually doing something. And exactly, and it can be a very frightening experience for people, mm-hmm. I'm sure, especially if it's a painful process. They've or been it's ill. Extended or yeah, if it's an extended illness and they're in a lot of pain mm-hmm. and things like that. I mean, it can be. It depends on the circumstance. Yeah. And and depending on who you and are, and on your individual preparedness, on and, your individual, yeah. are you prepared to cross the veil to die? Yeah. You know, to lead to. To no longer be here. And again, that was something that you and I discussed when, mm-hmm. when I was first diagnosed with cancer, because when you are diagnosed with an illness, even when you don't know what the outcome is going to be. Yeah. Even when is, you don't have your prognosis yet, you hear a word like cancer and. Exactly. <laughs> and it makes you think, oh, this is something I need to think about. Mm-hmm. And you go through a process. And so it's, yeah, it's very, it's very interesting. I was lucky to, to, have people to help me through the process. Uh, Mackenzie points out, similarly doing death notifications, like when you're telling the family, you mm-hmm. literally have to say they're dead because if you say they've passed on or other euphemisms, their brain won't process that the person is dead. Yeah. And sometimes though, it depends because on, it depends on who you're talking to. Cause if I, I, I said that to my sister when our grandfather died, I was 16. She mm-hmm. was nine years. She's nine years older than me. So she's married and however old she's in her twenties. But um, my grandfather lived with us, and so I was the one who called my sister, mm-hmm. and I said very bluntly, "Grandpa has died," mm-hmm. and she wouldn't believe me. She got pissed off. Yeah, you know. So I think it really depends on who you're talking to. <laughs> but I don't think it would have been any better if you told her Grandpa has passed away. Yeah, yeah. I don't like. I don't think she was going to listen to any. Uh, no, no. It was just of really, bad news. Exactly. She just didn't want to hear it. Exactly. So, yeah, people, and that's true, Mackenzie, people's brains will find any grain of hope. Mm -hmm. That's true. And sometimes it's just, you know, it's a hard thing for people to hear, especially if it's unexpected. Mm -hmm. You know, even though my grandfather was 86 when he, when he died, he had just come home again. It was one of those things. He had just come home from a trip of seeing his, his relatives that were Mm his, his his siblings that were, and cousins that were still living at the time. And, um, had had a great little family reunion with some people, came home, and shortly thereafter, a couple of days after he got home, he died in his sleep. Um, but it was unexpected, mm-hmm. even though he was 86. Right, like he, he hadn't had, been sick. Nope. He was in perfect health for a man who was 86. 86. Yeah. And so sometimes I think it's that, if, especially if it's unexpected, it mm-hmm. can be very hard for people to deal with that. And if we circle in and back around to mm-hmm. just that tension with that yeah. word. Because of the unknowing. Even if you have a faith that has a specific tradition of this is what happens right. when you die. They'll tell you specifically. They'll tell yeah. you specifically what happens when you die, but yet You're not the person who has died. Exactly. So like, how do you know? Exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Somehow we got back on death. Rebirth didn't last very long. <laughs> Well, we got talking. We got back on death because you have to do the dying to do the to you have the to rebirth do, to the to do the rebirth. And so, you know, I, I think it's an interesting exercise, perhaps that we can or a new way of looking at celebrating something like Ostara or celebrating Samhain mm-hmm. with this concept of a, a ritual of death and rebirth from a spiritual point of view. And maybe as a way of preparedness for our, because we're all mortal. Right, exactly. None of us is going to, you know. Entropy will come for us entropy, all. Entropy will come for us all. Now, whatever your funeral arrangements are, eventually your meat is going to stop being yeah. yours. I think that's the thing, is that we all, because we live in our immediate 
face, yeah. we all think this is going to go on forever. Right. Because we've never faced the end of, of exactly. you know, our experience of time before. Exactly. So we literally can't conceive of what that will be like. And even though we have a concept of it, we've mm-hmm. got people around us who've, who've died. Right. Um, we, you know, we've had family We've developed philosophical or religious structures to explain death exactly. and to explain life after death. But for us personally, yeah, the experience there is still that experience of there's a gap. There's a gap. There's and an there's, experience gap between what your life is, which is constantly one moment to the next, mm-hmm. uninterrupted, and what death seems like it will be, which is just like stopping that. Yeah. And even when you're asleep, you don't stop that. No, right? Like you, you dream. dream. Yeah. <laughs> your consciousness never like stops. The closest I can say I've ever maybe gotten to experience that mm-hmm. was when I had my surgery and I had anesthesia. Anesthesia, yeah. Because now some people will have experiences when they're under anesthesia, they'll have oh. very deep, meaningful, spiritual experiences. Yeah. Or dreams. Or, or, they'll, or they'll have an out-of-body experience. Yep. yep. That kind of thing. No, for me, it was a literal, I was there, and then just coming back from the black. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there yeah. was just, there's just this void. There is just, there's there was just, just this... Just a blank space. Just a blank. Where your consciousness wasn't. Exactly. There was just this blank space. And I was like, okay, maybe that. that maybe that's that. Maybe that is it. <laughs> you know, maybe the atheists are right. You know, but, but I do know from anecdotal experiences, though, that there are people who uh, have had out-of-body experiences, mm-hmm. who have had incredible visions or after they have died for a period of time. Right, yeah. And come back with... Uh, Tem- temporary deaths, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, what is that? You know, <laughs> they were sort. They were mostly, mostly dead. dead to, yeah. to quote, they got better. The, yeah, to quote the Princess Bride, they were mostly dead. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, so yeah, I agree. I think that's why it's hard because we. D- it's not part of our ju- experience. Yeah, it's just not part of our experience, and it, and it can't, can't be. be. Yeah, there's no way for us to actually experience death before getting there. Even after we hear someone who has had an out of body. What they near call death a experience. near death experience, yeah. yeah. Even after listening to the testimony of these people, you still can't experience it for yourself. Mm-hmm. You can only go, "Wow, that's amazing." That sounds interesting. That sounds interesting. That may affect your belief in things, right? And then when we've talked about this before, the limits of language. Yeah, I can't give you my experience. I can just use the symbol sets we've agreed on for communicating with each other to give you my best guess, and then you'll retranslate that through your right. personal experience. So I think that's where that tension comes from, in that. We cannot know until we have done it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a hard thing for people that's to, a hard to reckon thing with. For people to reckon with. There's no practice round. No, there's no practice round, generally speaking. So I think that maybe that's part of why we go through these rituals, not mm-hmm. only for death rituals, for when people do die, right. but also these death and rebirth rituals. This concept of, okay, I am this I am experiencing this spiritual death, this mm-hmm. emotional death. This practice this death. This practice death. To become comfortable with it right. in a way of letting go of self in some way. Yeah. To then be reborn as someone new. Which or- is, I mean, traditionally that was a mandatory experience for uh, doing any kind of work with with spirits as a mm-hmm. shaman. Mm-hmm. The journeying experience. I don't really know much about shaman. Well, shamanism. so my understanding is in the original culture where the word shaman comes from, mm-hmm. uh, to be a shaman, you had to like be grievously injured or ill mm-hmm. unto death and then miraculously recover. 
mm-hmm. because you had to experience death and come back from it in order to do that work with spirits and be that intermediary. Gotcha. Practice death. Practice death. Something I'm wondering is, so we've got Salon and we've got Ostara, right. right, on these sort of opposite poles. Death and rebirth. But I'm wondering if separating them like that maybe isn't the most productive thing we could do. Mm. If it might be better to celebrate both of those times as death and rebirth rituals. That might be something really interesting you know? to try. Yeah. So, like, rather than putting them on opposite sides of the calendar, mm-hmm. we celebrate death and rebirth twice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And maybe we focus on prominent element right there, right? Like, so maybe on sound we focus on death, and maybe in Astara we focus on life. Mm-hmm. But we also include its counterbalance. Mm-hmm. Because I, I wonder if separating them sort of increases that experience gap increases that disparity and understanding and comfortability perpetuates mm-hmm. what has become cultural norm, regardless of your religious tradition or belief. Yeah. There is this, there is a separation, which perhaps experiencing rituals in this way of rebirth from death. Yeah. Death and yeah, rebirth. Having, having that a it whole, is not just death or rebirth. Right. But combined. Yeah. A combined. I as think a, that's as an a interesting whole, integrated experience. I think that's a really a really interesting concept to try. Yeah. So I'm gonna be thinking about that now. Absolutely. <laughs> who knows? Might have something interesting to talk about on sound uh-huh, upcoming. Knows? We're not doing holiday episodes again. No, not doing holiday. <laughs> but we could talk about this maybe both you and I yeah, can think about yeah. this concept and maybe of sort of revisit this at revisit some this idea celebrating Samhain as not just a death holiday. A death holiday, although maybe it isn't for all people, but something to look at. Mm-hmm. Mackenzie was wondering about the Norse or Celtic traditions for death. So obviously I can't talk too much about the Celtic traditions for death. Mm-hmm. The Norse traditions, it varies mm-hmm. uh, because the Norse were not like one unified peoples. Right. They were many tribes. Uh, and that's part of why like the afterlife considerations for the, for, for heathenry are so complicated. Mm. Because, like, so we've got hell, mm-hmm. uh, the realm where the dead go, and we've got the various halls where the dead go, Valhalla, Fulkvanger, etc. Those are the halls of individual gods where they take the slain. Mm-hmm. Everyone else is supposed to go to hell, hypothetically. Mm-hmm. But we also have references to people consulting their ancestors at the burial, sh- at the burial mounds mm-hmm. where they're buried. We have references to people... Um, so some ancestors are supposed to have maybe been reborn as Ulfar, as elves. Mm-hmm. It's not clear how that happened. Um, mm-hmm. and it's not clear if that only happened to exceptional people or if that only happened to people who maybe had some kind of Ulfar ancestry to begin with mm-hmm. or what. Like, we don't know where that comes from. Mackenzie is also saying all I've read is something about sending people off on boats. That happened in some parts of Scandinavia. It's called a burial by water or a burial at sea. Mm-hmm. Um, that didn't happen everywhere. Because, as you said, different tribes. Different, different tribes in different parts of various islands, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes there were burials by water. Sometimes your ancestors were buried together in an ancestral burial. Sometimes... And so, like, um, the people who die at sea during Viking raids and things, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, or in shipwrecks are 
supposed to be in Hran's hall. Um, mm-hmm. She takes drowned men mm-hmm. and men who die at sea. So, like, there are a bunch of different afterlife configurations in Norse culture, and the huge variation makes it really difficult for, like, because modern heathenry mm-hmm. is not based on any one individual tribe because we don't have enough information from any one individual it's tribe. Just bits and so pieces. it's just bits from, you know, a dozen different ones mm-hmm. trying to swoosh together and create something coherent that was never designed to be all fit together. I know I read the account of one heathen man who his brother uh, died. I'm trying to get away from saying passed away. Let's just be honest. <laughs> whose brother died and who was also heathen and he had been cremated. So the closest his, he could get his brother to the Viking death he wanted was to take his ashes and then burn them because again, uh-huh. and throw them onto, they had, they had, he said they had celebration. Mm-hmm. They had, they built a great big bonfire. They toasted, they boasted, they celebrated his life. And then they threw his ashes on the flames. Mm-hmm. And he, they said that is as close as they could get to a Viking burial tradition that that they were right, aware of. Yeah. Uh, people in the chat are talking about Valhalla. So so there's Folkvanger is Freya's hall, and Valhalla is Odin's hall. Freya and Odin take from those who die in battle mm-hmm. and build up essentially their little personal afterlife armies. Right. So that's only traditionally people who die like in combat who go to Valhalla or Folkvanger. Everybody else basically was supposed to go to hell. Uh, so sometimes you'll hear people being like, only people who die in unworthy ways go to hell, but that's not true. Basically, like... And to confirm, know. that's H-E-L, the goddess, yeah, not yeah. H-E-L-L, the Christian concept. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> H-E-L, the goddess in underworld in Norse mythology. Pretty sure they stole that word. <laughs> um, Car yeah, so Car has some information. Yeah, Car has posted in the Discord, so we will read it here. Celtic is recent anthropological analysis at various sites has allowed us to at least partly reconstruct the complex ritual associated with Celtic cremation burials. According to the degree of burning at different anatomical elements, it has been possible to conclude that the corpse was laid on the funeral pyre on their back. Then there's a citation in Pack and Gustin, 2011. Logically, cremations were usually of individuals, although there are a number of cases of multiple cremation burials, such as the double burial of a male and female, or a triple burial of a man, woman, and child. So it is safe to say that perhaps uh, someone who is of the Druid or Celtic mm-hmm. Druid might want cremation, might want cremation yeah. as part of their burial ritual. Teo asks opinion on Hell versus Helheim. Helheim is an attempt to, uh, Melkor points out, yeah, around Grandfather File has a couple of uh, episodes on the heathen afterworld. It's complicated. The Helheim is basically an attempt to make the realm Hell sound like the other realms, like Vanaheim and Midgard and Alfheim and, and those things. It's mm-hmm. attempt. It's an. It's 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 a post hoc essentially attempt to say this is the land, not the person. In the references that we have in the original text, I believe there, like the word is hell used interchangeably for the goddess mm-hmm. and the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Squeaky said. Though there is said to be parts of hell that are not so pleasant for oathbreakers and such. Sort of. Like no. Hades in the Greek uh, yes, tradition. Yes, Melkor, correct. The the use of Hades as the god and the place is very much like the use of hell as the goddess and the place. Right. There's not anything explicit like that in 
heathenry, to my knowledge. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, Carr has more info on the Celtic afterlife that I'll get to in a sec. There's not, like, an explicit punishment place in hell. That doesn't mean that punishment doesn't happen in the afterlife, necessarily, um, particularly for Oathbreakers and things, because it's a very serious crime. Chris is bringing up Niflheim. Uh, Niflheim is the realm of, like, eternal frost, and to my knowledge, that's not, like, a punishment location. It's just the realm of cold things. (laughs) (laughs) Chris does admit that might have been a pop culture thing that they picked up somewhere. There there may be afterlife punishments, but it's, it wasn't, that wasn't a big focus. And Crow's Knight 66, who is a Christian, uh, is saying that pagan afterlife is much more complicated than Christian. Well, the heathen <laughs> soul, <that's> <laughs> the, the heathen um, spirit is also more complicated than the Christian concept of the soul. So the Christian concept of the soul is that you have one. Mm-hmm. And the heathen concept of the soul is that you have one made of multiple pieces that split apart when you die and might go do different things. Right. (laughs) So here's what Carr said about the Celtic afterlife. For almost everyone, the afterlife will be an improved version of this one. The soul is guided by proper ritual and by the king of the dead to Ternamarb, the land of the dead, where they dwell happily. This land is a lovely and joyous place where the songs of the goddesses' birds ease pain and sorrows, where feasting and entertainment are the order of the day. Magical boar and stag are hunted, and the meat of poetry flows freely. Many tales tell that the souls of the newly dead linger as shades in the living world until sound eve. Then Don, the king of the dead, winds his horn and calls all souls to his house, Teeth Dwin, and then west across the sea to Tirnamarb. Thank you very much, Carr, mm-hmm. for sharing that information about Celtic afterlife. Uh, Britt says, when I was younger, I was more scared of purgatory than of dying. It doesn't seem like there is a pagan version of this, so that's a plus. <laughs> Carr says that pagan purgatory is Earth now. <laughs> and there are actually a lot of people who sort of seem to have that belief that, like, being on Earth and if, as a physical person is a punishment in and of itself. But see, I don't feel that way. I've yeah. never felt that way. I love, in, in spite of the difficulties that we have, the pain, the the illness, the the strife, the wars, blah blah. Right. There is still so much beauty. Yeah, I mean, don't on this me. Earth, I I I love this Earth. I love the Earth Mother and what she provides for us, and the green and growing things. And I'm like really connected to the Earth, so I don't see it. As a as a purgatory, I see it as a, a blessing, a, a gift. Don't get me wrong. As a non-binary person, I frequently, like, am like, could I just not be made of meat? Could I be <laughs> made of metal or something? But that just, that's not because, like, I don't enjoy doing things on Earth. It's just because my body fucking sucks and isn't right. So... I think it depends on the person. It really yeah. comes down to how they are, you know, what their experience is. You know, again, I'm speaking as a green witch. I'm speaking as someone who is very connected to the Earth Mother. So, but that has always been my experience uh, with this life. And I don't, like, I know that in the Hindu and other various Indian religions where reincarnation is a major part of their of their system, that it is the sense of escape from the wheel of life, the the escape from re- rebirth, the escape from reincarnation that they are working toward at the ultimate end when they reach nirvana. Right. That right. that's the goal is to get off the wheel. Whereas I'm like, no, nah, baby, bring me back. I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm happy. I like living here in spite of all the difficulties. I'll, I'll take it. Um, one more comment. Shana says, depending on the Jew, we don't have an afterlife until the Messiah comes. Oh. If you'd like to elaborate on that, that sounds super interesting. What happens after you die? Mm-hmm. 
Shayna says, basically we die and go to rest where nothing exists. Then when the Savior com- comes, we go to a form of heaven. Interesting. That is very interesting. Yeah. All right. Uh, I think that's everything. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, you guys, this has been a really... Yeah, really interesting conversation. Really interesting. Although Crow's Night did say some, so something like the Christian rapture. I think that's completely... I think that would be different. That's a different thing. That's yeah. a different concept than what it sounds like the Jewish concept is. Yeah. Well, the rapture also is a one-time event. So. That's true. <laughs> that is true. So, but anyway, seriously, though, this has been a, a really wonderful time. I'm glad. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry that Carr could not be here yeah. in person, but we do appreciate that he could still participate. Uh, Carr says, you can find us on Google.com, <laughs> the number three pagans and a cat dot com. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's pretty much all there is, oh, you can go to Patheos Pagan mm-hmm. to read what I've been writing for Three Pagans and a Cat blog. Uh, currently, there is a justice spell if you would like to participate in that. Like all your recent posts have been about the protest. This, this so, past yeah. week, yeah. So um, feel free to to join in on that. But other other yeah, than that, I think, I think we're I think we're done. I think I think that's it. Oh. All right. Well, and and first we do need to say we love all of our our listeners. And thank you for standing by us in this really difficult time, you guys. Yeah. Really, between COVID and the the unrest, you know, and the the protests and which we support, by the way, which we support, as we've mentioned, we support the protests. Uh, Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. We support all of that. And I do also want to remind: it is Gay Pride Month. It is. It's oh yeah. Gay Pride. Hey, yeah. Reminder, just for everyone, just just blanket reminder: Gay Pride. It, at least in America, mm-hmm. is in memory of the Stonewall right. riots, <laughs> which uh, Miss Major, who is a black trans woman, that's right, was there at the very beginning of those. That's right, and has been active the whole way through. So uh, it's Pride Month, but it's also Black Lives Matter Month. So do you cannot and must not separate those. That's right. That don't separate those. So yes, you know. and Teo says um, she. So there is a Miss Major ha- had a stroke uh, a couple of years ago and is trying to retire. Um, there is a GoFundMe for her retirement because of course we live in America and you have to. So, so anyway, and then, yes, Shana says it's always Pride Month when you're gay. That's right. It's true. So, but it's so- specifically Pride Month now, and I don't want and I haven't seen anybody doing this because. Everyone's been reminding everyone that black trans women have been an extremely important right. mo- moment in our fight. But um, I don't want to see anybody celebrating Pride Month who is not also acknowledging that our black queer people have been in this fight with us, too. Exactly. So, for From the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so yeah. So Pride Month. Yep. Black Lives Matter. Go enjoy your week. Yes. We'll see you next week. Be safe. With whatever our topic is. I don't remember. And we love you. Okay. (laughs) Goodbye. 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 Goodbye.